0: or so. There we are. We are
1: live.
0: What up, ladies and gentlemen? Hey, market's hot. You're going to sell your property, but are you going to pay all the taxes? What if you could avoid paying them? F Uncle Sam.
2: (laughs) Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you,
0: Time for some exciting times. I don't know about F Uncle Sam, but we're going to definitely play by his rules and take advantage of those things that are already in the books. James, kick it out, brother.
1: Taxes suck, so why pay them if you don't have to, especially when you're dealing with huge tax liabilities, flipping properties? Today's guest is here to teach us all about 1031 Exchange Process, one of the most powerful yet underutilized tools available to real estate investors. Ladies and gentlemen, the path to reaching your own goals for freedom will be reached faster if you keep your taxes working for your benefit. So whether you need help understanding your, op- your options, learning more about 1031 exchanges or creating a strategy for your personal investing, our guest has the information, tools and qualified intermediary services that will help you achieve your goals while helping you minimize your taxes. Without further ado, joining us from the Exchange Resource Group comes a bigger pockets contributor, 1031 exchange expert, real estate investor, tax strategist, welcome to the show. Dave Foster!
3: <laughs> I can't just listening to that.
1: <laughs> Dave, man, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on.
3: Thank you. It's great to be here. Hernan, are we in trouble? Did we just get put on the NSA radar screen?
0: Yeah, I think
1: we did.
3: Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. He, he, he called out Uncle Sam, and now, now you know they got two extra Hubble telescopes over there in, in Space Force, so they're gonna be looking down <laughs> on us now. Yeah, <laughs> That's all right. Amazon's been listening to us. For I don't,
3: I don't need anybody looking at us. In.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and next bad, week when yes, I get that bad. that IRS audit letter, I know where to go.
3: <laughs> there you go. There you
0: go. Exactly. All right, <laughs> Here, guys. So Uh, You know, I I always tell uh, my young students, I teach teach high school, I teach 17-year-old kids, and I always tell them, look, uh, the first time you played Monopoly, you probably sucked at the game. And it's simply because you didn't know the rules. Once you understand the rules to the game, you have a chance of winning. And that's how I see uh, a lot of what goes on in this 1031 exchange world. They're just rules to the game that you're already playing. The more rules you know, the better chance you have to win.
3: What do you say? Yeah. Well, gosh, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, you guys, we're were all on that bigger pockets forum quite often. And we see the same questions as people are going through their investing life cycle. And the winners are going to be those that pick up on those rules the quickest. You know, there's some people who jump in late. They never learn those tricks, so they never get to use those rules to their advantage. But you're exactly right. You know, the there's the golden rule. If he who has the gold makes the rules. I love that rule. But then there's also, if you know the rules, you can use them to your advantage.
0: 100%. That That's, you know, well, help me out here. How long did it take you to... Not only learn these rules, but begin to implement them because there's one thing to read about a particular law or read about a stature or read about a tax code. It's different to put it into practice. So tell me a little bit about what these laws are, like the, the little time frames that are that are embedded into this 1031 tax right. exchange and and when can we use them? When's the best strategy type to use?
3: All right. You know what's amazing Hernan, is I think, you know, shout out to you, by the way, for being a teacher. Thank you. But my guess is that at some point in time, maybe five or 600 times, you've had a student come to you and say, when am I ever going to use quadratic equations in real life? Oh, that happens all the time. All the time, exactly. So you never know when you're going to hear that tidbit that's going to help you out. I'm a decreed accountant, and the sum total of my experience with 1031 exchanges was one half of one class period in an entire (laughs) undergraduate program. At that point in time, I didn't know. But I'll tell you what I found out, it was called the School of Hard Knocks. Mm. And what happened was I did a fix and flip property. And I was so fat and sassy, I was excited, thinking, oh man, this is just gonna be awesome. And then my accountant gave me the bad news of how much of my tax money was going to my silent partner, Uncle Sam. Mm. And I just went, oh my gosh, this just really sucks. And (gasps) at that point in time, my wife and I were trying to get off the corporate train. And so we, we were wanting to find every advantage that we could to speed that process up. And so just by accident, that same year at that moment there had been a court case settled that opened up the 1031 exchange to regular mom and pop investors like me at that point and it was now user friendly and i saw that and went oh my gosh this is the answer and and so we started a company to do that for others and over the next 20 years That's when the learning has really occurred because I knew the skeleton of it, but it took 20 years and I'm still learning new things every day about how these things can be applied. So it's there's the aha moment, right? But then there's the fill in the gaps moment. And many times it takes a lot of years to fill in those gaps.
0: Oh, the years for sure. I mean, that, that's like the same story of the first investment property that James and I ever bought. We went to a training in Las Vegas where they teach, you know, you know one of those where you go to a hotel and then you pay like three grand to go learn about something and then they sell you another program, that sort of stuff. So we went. 60% of the time, it works every time. Absolutely. And so we went, we learned uh, a lot because we knew nothing. So anything we learned was better than what we didn't know before bought this property in in Vegas and realized really quick, holy crap, this thing is not going to cash flow. And so uh, we had just learned about this cool strategy called uh, rent to own or lease to own. and we're like, ooh, let's use that strategy. And all of a sudden we turned what could have been a failing investment into a positive investment. That's one of those hard knock situations. You do a flip, you realize that you have made a profit and you're excited. And then you get deflated because most of that or a good portion of that profit is now going to your silent partner. So tell me what you do. How do you avoid paying Uncle Sam? And and there's a difference, right? There's not the Al Capone of uh, evasion. We're talking about legally avoiding taxes here.
3: Yeah, it's the difference of between evasion and avoidance. Avoiding is doing everything legally you can. Evasion just plans Bernie Madoff as your cellmate. Um, so yeah, first of all, you kind of have to understand the framework of 1031. It's designed, and this is gonna cause some people some consternation, but it's designed specifically for properties that it is your intent to hold for productive use. So fix and flippers have a tough time doing 1031 exchanges because their primary intent is resale, and when that's your primary intent whether you're doing real estate or washers and dryers or selling Kool-Aid on the street, those things that you own that you're selling become what the IRS calls inventory and they're going to tax you much higher. So that's the problem with the fix and flip is that you're going to pay a higher tax rate and your motivation is to sell and not to hold. But for all of those people who change their model so that you become a little more buy and holdish. You buy properties intending to hold them. You use them for productive use. Then when you sell those properties and they have a gain in them or they have a tax write-off that you've taken called depreciation, that, by the way, this is a lovely thing from the IRS. It's a gift that they want back when you sell it. It's called recapture. Exactly, and uh, that just doesn't seem very nice to me. But whether it's depreciation recapture or whether it's profit on your sale, the 1031 exchange lets you sell that property and go buy new property. And by doing it, using this process, you're able to defer indefinitely the tax on the profits. Dude,
2: I almost had you.
3: (laughs) And if you want to see the power of that just play around with an excel spreadsheet where you either pay the taxes you go or each time you sell that property you take that money and you use that to buy another property
0: now there's some and, some rules here right there's some rules in in this little section so uh when i sell the property the proceeds that i that i make the the profit that i make the gain in this transaction i don't actually get to put that in my bank account It has to sit somewhere else for for a specific period of time, right?
3: That's right. The IRS requires the use of an entity called the Qualified Intermediary. And they're actually a good person to have on your team because they're the ones that understand the process and they're going to be your guide through it. That's what we do. And what's most beautiful about this is love them or hate them. I have a job because the IRS requires me to be in your transaction. So I do owe them a debt of thanks uh, because I have to be in the process. And we are the guide through the rest of that. So you're right, Hernan, you cannot touch the money. If you come to me a week after your sale and tell me you want to do a 1031, you're too late because you touched the proceeds. And it's little rules like that along the way that can trip you up. Because while the IRS has to let us do these, they don't have to make it easy for you. So you just have to be very, very careful.
0: So what you're saying is, if I heard you correctly, if I'm even considering selling a property that I intend to hold, that I was holding long term, or if I'm going to intend on reinvesting that money into a new property to hold long term, I should consider this ahead of time prior to the close of escrow. This should be something that I'm thinking about doing ahead of time and talk to somebody like yourself before I get into the whole process.
3: That's exactly right. And it's kind of counterintuitive. James, I'll bet you've got a clip for this. When do you make money in real estate? What's the old saying? You make money when you sell. So, buy it. Oh, actually, when you buy it, you're thinking about your exit strategy when you buy. That's exactly right. You make money when you buy it because you're buying it right with an exit strategy in mind. But the second half to that where I live, is that you'll keep more of that profit when you sell. So the 1031 is going to start with the sale of your real estate. And then it finishes when you purchase your new real estate.
0: So when, when I purchase my new real estate and, and these are things, you know, uh, that, that I've, I've come across and I'm learning. So I'm going to get, you know, your two cents to back me up here when I'm purchasing a real estate, there's, and and I use a 1031, There's some rules like uh, how much indebtedness I'm supposed to be in when I purchase the new property. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, there's there's several nasty little gotchas that are in the middle of that. One of those you just referred to. So many people think that all they have to do is take their profit and then go buy a property. But what the IRS says is that if you take cash out or if you buy less than what you sold, that you're actually taking profit out. So the requirement to do a full 1031 exchange and completely defer all tax is that you actually have to purchase at least as much as you sell and use all of your proceeds in the purchase or purchases. A lot of people don't think that. So they get caught, they get, well, I can't find that much property or I need to take some cash out. And there's some answers to that. But it all comes down to what you and I, Would define as profit is different from what the IRS says. We might say we're taking our original capital out. And I would agree with that. But the IRS would say, well, wait a minute. If the first dollar you take out is a dollar of profit. So you got to pay tax on it. So which is it? Your original capital that's not taxable? Or is it a dollar of profit like the IRS says? (laughs) To answer that question, I simply ask you who's got nuclear weapons? And a standing army.
0: It's so true, right? <laughs> Sorry, the guy with the bigger stick makes the rules. <laughs> that's, that's just exactly what it comes right. down
3: to, right? So that's that's probably one of the biggest misunderstandings. Now you mentioned timing a minute ago, and that's so key with the 1031, and especially in today's environment, where people are either a concerned that they're gonna find good replacement properties, or b, they're very excited that there may be some properties coming on the market at discounts. It all depends on what your take on it is. But from the day that you close the sale of your old property, you only have 45 days to identify your potential replacements. And once that day 45 has passed, you are stuck with what's on that list. So that first 45 days is really critical to get as far along in the process as you can today junior you've got 180 days to close but that first 45 you gotta pay attention
0: so just to go back on when i should be using a 1031 i made the analogy to monopoly and it has a lot of great analogies especially for the 1031 um the that game it's it's you know get a couple greenhouses turn them into a red hotel that process of exchanging smaller equitable assets that you have uh, that you're going to sell and converting them into larger assets, that's usually when people tend to look at this 1031 exchange uh,
3: opportunity. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. As a matter of fact, let's play a game. This is going to be fun. I've never done this before. I'm going to describe the scenario where 1031 can be used you tell me what its equivalent would be, in Monopoly. Oh, okay. Let's try so, it. So here's scenario number one. I'm going to sell a property that I have a lot of appreciation in, and I'm going to use the proceeds to buy two or three smaller properties. Oh, so let's see.
0: An analogy would be I'm gonna I'm gonna sell one uh, one boardwalk, take the proceeds, and buy three, whatever the whole monopoly is for that particular
3: color. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Three of the green guys. Now, why would I do that? Because three green guys lets me start to build hotels, right? Mm-hmm. I get better cash flow. Park Place by itself doesn't do me anything unless I get boardwalk. boardwalk right? yep,
0: you got it right, yeah. yeah. I had to think about it for a second too. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. All right, here's scenario number two. I own several smaller properties, and I want to sell them to buy one much larger property.
0: Ooh, so that's that's once you have the monopoly, that's the all the greenhouses, four greenhouses, one red hotel. That's the Kiyosaki, the monopoly theory, the same thing, right? You're going to step up and and grow your portfolio from multi multiple single family units to probably multiple doors in an apartment building or a hotel or something like that.
3: Right, because why? Less management issues? Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna sell Atlantic and the purple guys, and I'm gonna use that to buy boardwalk because I've already got park place. Mm -hmm. And what if got your victory dance? Well, I got it right here. And while I'm doing this, I just decreased my management. I don't have to hold as many cards. Or I'm selling properties that don't perform as well and buying properties that do, like the utilities. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves utilities, everybody loves the railroads, but they're fixed because you can't add hotels on them, right?
0: There's nothing you can do to improve, that's right.
3: I'm gonna purchase properties where I can get better cash flow. So yeah, Monopoly is a beautiful synonym with 1031 exchanges. So you can go from larger to smaller, smaller to bigger, fewer to more, And you can do that as many times as you want through your life. So our typical investor is going to start out with one, just like you guys did in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yep. Right. Many, many moons ago. You grow that, you sell it, you buy two properties. You sell those two, you buy four. You sell the four, you buy 16. 10 years later, you call me and you say, Dave, I don't understand. I'm tired. Why am I tired? Well, you're tired because you're already on your fifth client call of the day because you got 20 properties scattered everywhere. And it's time to start consolidating. So you sell five of them and use the proceeds to buy one larger property that has on-site management. Or you go into something passive, like a fractional opportunity of a large institutional piece of real estate. So you've grown... at and that point, control. we're looking
0: for the ROI without yeah. the headache, right? We yes. put, that's
2: good. One less thing.
0: That's wow. right. We put in the years of building up that capital, of acquiring all those assets, and now we're getting hit into our quote-unquote retirement phase where we don't want to deal with the headaches of, of day-to-day management. We, we don't want to deal with the vacancy rates. We don't want to deal with the management of you know plumbing and electrical and all that stuff. We want to take all the assets that we've accumulated and turn them into something that can be a little more self-managed.
3: Right. And there's two real, real avenues that you'll use for that. The first one is going to go into properties where you don't have to manage, whether they're residential or commercial, but they're less management and they simply work while you don't. And the other thing that you're going to do, and I love this tactic, is that you're going to finally shape your 1031s so that you're going to buy investment real estate where you want to retire. Mm. And it could be really, really nice investment real estate where you might want to live someday. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yes, exactly. So what will happen is, let's just say the guy's coming from Chicago, right? What's Chicago have in January? know, Snow and snow shovels. So they're going to use the 1031 before they're ready to retire. And they're going to sell a Chicago flat. And they're going to go buy a vacation rental in Sarasota, Florida. It's going to be on the beach. Something beautiful. They're going to use it for rental. They also may stay in a little bit, too, because that's not a requirement that you can't. But then when they're ready to retire, they're going to and check this out. This is amazing. They're going to sell their primary residence in Chicago. And when they do that, if they've lived in it for two out of the previous five years, they get to take up to five hundred. if they're married, five hundred thousand dollars of that profit tax free. So there's retirement step number one, sell your primary residence, take the money tax free, put it in your pocket, go on the Alaskan cruise. Where are you going to move?
0: Huh? Probably somewhere where I invested where the sun shines and it's
3: right on the beach. That's exactly right. Because changing the use of the property does not create a taxable event. Now, the tax does not go away, but you still do not have to pay it. But you used tax, def- deferred tax and investment dollars to buy your dream retirement house. And as long as you own that, you'll never pay the tax. So you just put a bunch of tax free dollars in your pocket and you just got the retirement home of your dreams with no snow shovel. To live in as long as you want. That's retirement step number two. Now, here's retirement step number three. As long as you continue to own that property, you will never pay the tax. And when you die, your heirs will inherit that property as if they paid market value for it. Step on up the day basis. Step up basis on the, on the property. So the tax at that moment goes away so it's tax deferred through your life but then it's tax free to your heirs now you gotta remember that it's only step three because it's not the most desirable because of what you got to do to give it to them but we're all in that same direction anyways so if dying lets you give a tax-free legacy to your heirs why not structure it that way
0: But you lived, man. You lived the life that you wanted to live. You've you've acquired the home that you wanted to retire in. You've walked away from the home that you lived in tax-free. I mean, those are all great advantages. And then, I mean, these are all things... None of those really account to anything aside from any pensions you've acquired over time, any traditional or Roth contributions that you've made over time. None of that stuff. This is just what you've done with the assets that you've acquired, how you end up selling them. Uh, And it's funny that you talk about that, about about having the gain or, or not having the gain we call them realized or unrealized gains, right? We're going through a market shift uh, where I think is going to be a, a, another major market shift and people who are going to still be in their homes are going to see uh, prices drop and they're going to think, man, I lost all kinds of money and, in my home. And I try to explain to them over and over again, uh, have you sold the place? It <laughs> usually the answer is like, no, I haven't. Then you haven't lost the thing. That You haven't actually realized a loss until the day you sell it. What we're talking about here is when you get ready to hit that point, that point of where I'm going to pull the trigger and it is going to become an actualized gain or loss, that is where these strategies come into play. This is where you want to sit down and talk to somebody, not just a realtor. A realtor is a great start because they're going to help you sell the property. But you want to talk to your tax professional. You want to talk to somebody like Dave because you want to understand what are your options based on your goals. What is your long-term goal here? What are you trying to achieve? Because if you don't have a plan in place, if you don't know what that exit strategy is, you're going to be very reactive. You're going to be in the same situation that you talked about at the very beginning where you sell the home. And then now uncle Sam loves you even more because you're cutting him a check.
3: right. And actually kind of at this point, I've got to, I got to kind of shout out my, my brethren. Um, a CPA is going to be great at telling you what just happened. Ooh, look how much money you made. Ooh, look at what kind of tax you're going to have to pay. But a CPA may not necessarily be the best strategist for you to have. Wealth planners, qualified intermediaries for 1031. Remember all of my education was actually formally on 1031s. And I don't do my own taxes. I have a CPA. I call him Turbo Andy and he's awesome. (laughs) But I don't do my own taxes. But I know far more about 1031 exchanges and how to shape those. So you do want to find the professionals that actually have lived in that for a number of years. But, man, Hernan, you're absolutely right. I started doing these for others in right about 2000. And so I was an intermediary in 2007, 2008, 2009, when what did we call those days? The dark days. Mm -hmm. But do you know how many of my investors went belly up When they owned their properties without debt and didn't sell them, then the answer is not one.
0: Yeah, not one
3: because they didn't lose money. Their homes lost value, but they did not lose money because they didn't sell. That's the beauty of the 1031 because you can position yourself so that you don't have to sell. You want to hear about a boat?
0: Which was uh, the, the acronym for a boat, bust out another thousand? <laughs>
3: stop it. I, we actually used 1031 exchanges as part of our strategy to end up living for 10 years on a sailboat. And it was still the saddest day of my life when I sold it. So stop it with that breakout. Although <laughs> well, no, it's I, accurate. It's accurate, well,
0: right? I know. I got a brother in law with two boats. So I, yeah. <laughs> well,
3: remember how you can use the conversion of investment property of your primary residence and investment property Mm -hmm. and swap them out. So what we would do is we would buy investment properties where we were, we would use them and then we would 1031 exchange into the next market where we were going to go. And when we moved to that city, for instance, from Denver to Stanford, we would sell our primary residence in Denver. We would move into the investment property in Stanford, Connecticut. Convert that. Now, at that point in time, prior to 2008, when you converted a property to your primary residence, you could sell it two years later, and all of the profit, all the tax disappeared then as well. So we did that several times and ended up in Florida with enough tax-free dollars from investment real estate sales through 1031 conversions, that we were able to buy our sailboat and we raised our four boys on that sailboat for 10 years. Wow. Without paying a penny in tax. See, That's what strategy can do for you.
0: Dave. <gasps> there we have your information scrolling in the bottom, www.the1031investor.com, but let the people know uh, if they're getting ready to make a change. We have you, you I think, I saw the t- statistic somewhere where we have like 10,000 uh, boomers turning 65 and older in the next coming uh, few years, a day. like I mean, they're just turning over and, and getting ready to enter the retirement phase. They've accumulated a lot of assets. They're ready to make a move. They just don't know what the next move should be. They don't have a strategy in place. They've been working their whole lives to acquire the assets that they have now it's exit time. How right. do they get a hold of you and 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 you know work through a plan?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're absolutely right. And that actually works on both. So both for old guys like me, the boomers to be, and for young guys like you, that sword is gonna cut both directions. Because while well, those of us at the um, let's be polite and say the latter end of things, <laughs> we need to start positioning our money so that it's working for us more passively. But every property that a boomer is ready to sell, there are young guys like you that are looking to take the first steps. What a boomer does not know about 1031 Exchanges, a young guy or girl can come along and be a hero to them by talking to them about not only would you sell this property to me, but hey, did you know there's this process where we'd be able to structure this so that you could do that without having to pay tax? Don't you think that's a real quick way to earn the love of a potential seller?
0: Absolutely. And I, I, to to that to that exact credit, the house I'm living in today, one of the reasons why it happened is because I literally would understand the tax laws. And I was like, look, I know this is what you're asking for, but if we break this dollar amount, you're only going to be paying Uncle Sam. So let's keep it under here and we'll work in some other details into the transaction to help compensate the difference, but this will save you money in the long term. And you know, again, that little tidbit of information, people just feel like, okay, you understand what I'm trying to accomplish here.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why 1031 exchanges are so much more It's just a paper process. Mm -hmm. You can go find anybody that's going to handle the paperwork for that. The real key is being to help you strategize through it. And what that means is that we have to take time to spend with you to find out what your goals are, to help you structure that strategy, and maybe to help you communicate that to the person that's on the other side of the table. So the 1031investor.com is a great place to start contact with me. We've got resources there, videos, calculators, all kinds of things to help you get started. And you can contact me directly either via the appointment scheduler or through the phone number that you'll find there.
0: Perfect. Dave, again, man, thank you very much for coming on the show. I had a good time uh, talking talking 1031, which is kind of tough to do. Let's be honest. Ta- taxes. It's kind of and, and it, Well, yeah, I dig it. But I'm just saying to try to make it fun, it's not always the easiest thing to do. But I, I had a good time with you today. Dave. I don't know, man. James
3: did his best. He started pretty <laughs> strong.
0: Yeah, he go. did. He did.
1: But uh, speaking of finishing strong, thank you, Dave. Uh, two things. First of all. Whoever that girl was that yelled at me at Balboa Park today, you made my day. Running through Balboa Park, and she goes, hey, are you Hernan's brother? I was like, yeah. She goes, business, booze. I was like, what? <laughs> Mind blown. So whoever you were, uh, you, you are awesome. You 100% made my day. Number two, uh, I tweeted about this earlier. I am starting a new segment.
0: Oh, Ham's insurance tip. Uh, prioritize your claims. All right.
1: This is today's tip is prioritize your claims. So just really quickly, I want to tell a little story. I had uh, a customer today who was in the market for a renter's insurance policy. Should be super easy, should be super quick, no problem. Unfortunately, this customer had filed several claims in the past three years, uh, some of which were you know worth. Filing some of which, maybe you didn't have to necessarily. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to tell you when you're out there filing claims, these things are ending up on your insurance score on your insurance record. So, when you go to file, uh, when you go to get a new policy, those claims, even though it's not a Car accident, right? Somebody like swipes your mirror or something like that. Those claims are still showing up on your record and they do look at that. Uh, agents do look at that. And if you have too many, it's going to make it more difficult uh, to ensure your home, your car, your business, whatever the case might be, especially if you live in a high brush area. Those are things that just will not mix well. So uh, prioritize your claims. If you think that you can handle it and you don't need to file the claim, cool go ahead and do it uh we're not here to tell you don't file claims just be aware that filing too many claims could cause you more more of a headache in the long run
2: try to make the world a better place (laughs) that's it that's all
1: i got
0: I like that. I like that little pro tips. I think uh, we're gonna throw uh, it in the middle of the show, though. You gotta like hit a little pause button real quick. Gives I a us, little pause Gives button. us a chance to like drink something and uh, you know like charge, re- recharge the mind real quick. I like. There that you comment. go. I can totally do that,
1: and uh, we'll have to find a new clip that does the.
0: An interruption. An interruption. The uh, interruption. Clip. Dave, thank you very much for being on the show, man. Uh, again. Oh. Very much, very useful information. So the 1031investor.com for those of you who are interested. Get all the information you need there. Take the necessary steps. Look, it's just Monopoly. You got to learn the rules. Find somebody like Dave who knows the rules. And then you have a a better shot at winning. So it's it's just a matter of keeping more money in your pocket. That's what it's about. That's what we're here for. So Dave, thank you very much. My pleasure, guys. We'll see you bros on the street. That's all we got for you guys today. Peace. Bye-bye
2: to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.